Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 15 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Before we start today, I want to tell you something that I'm really passionate about. I want to tell you about our new learning and engagement platform we built here at Digging Trail. Because it was designed especially for you, so the Airline Digital Pro. Airlines are going through really turbulent times and a lot of change will happen during this crisis and as we will try to find the best way to recover. Customer behavior is definitely changing and things are moving rapidly towards digital channels, towards touchless, contactless digital experience. To stay competitive, or even better, to to advance your career, you'll need a better understanding of the digital world and how to build and optimize digital products. The new airline world is much faster. For example, scheduled planning cycles are four times faster than they were a year ago and our digital cycles will need to reflect that as well. We'll need a faster, shorter loops instead of long digital products. To make this work, you'll need the skills to work successfully in this faster data-driven and agile environment. And this is where our Airline Digital Academy actually comes in, to help you get these new skills for the future. There is even more because learning is only one part of the academy. It's a big part, but as important as learning is also our peer-to-peer platform. We want to connect you with other passionate airline digital people and enable you to interact, to exchange ideas for new future digital products. So please check out digintrail.com academy to learn more or reach out to me on LinkedIn. One of the main things about our academy is to help you build new airline digital products of the future. And this is also what our today's podcast is all about. I preach a lot about new agile data-driven digital marketing that is based on experimentation. But still a lot of times I hear from you, come on Istok, this is great, but how can it be done in practice? And now don't tell me about startups or Airbnbs skyscanners and booking.coms of the world, show me a case of a big traditional legacy airline that is doing it. I hope that today's chat with Vanessa, who is a head of product at Latime Airlines, so a big traditional airline, and she's one of the most passionate airline digital people I know, will show you that this change can be done and we can do things differently. So please also check my article supporting article for this podcast to see five principles of how doing things differently and what does that mean actually in practice. You can find the link to the article in the show notes of this podcast. Because to me, any digital transformation starts with a new mindset of doing things differently. And this starts with passionate people. Vanessa is certainly one of the most passionate people, the most passionate digital people I know. And this is also one thing that we want to do with our new airline digital academy. 
connect you with passionate airline digital people. So I hope I'll see some of you in the Academy soon and I really hope you'll enjoy this episode of the Divin Trail podcast. It certainly is one of my favorite ones. Hi Vanessa and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Hi, good morning from Chile. <laughs> yeah, very glad to finally make this happen. I'm really excited uh, because I follow your work about product and digital and experimentation and uh, it covers everything basically we do here at Digging Trail for airlines. So really excited to talk to you about all these things today. Before we start, I usually don't do intros where people talk about backgrounds because I like to jump into topics directly, but you have a very interesting role as a head of product, uh, as a part of this big digital product environment in LATAM when there are, if I'm not mistaken, your, the whole LATAM ecosystem is 23 different sites, more than 40 digital product teams. Can you explain a little bit what exactly is a head of product role or how does it look like in real life? Well, let's say head of product, I'm, I'm mainly supporting the development of product managers uh, in order to, to create also a culture of customer centricity, data driven, to focus on outcomes over outputs, to, to, to share with them how important it is to learn from customers continuously, how important it is to manage effectively uh, the product and its development. And on top of this, that the success of the product is to foster people collaboration because we have very important and very big professionals in our digital area. And thanks to their interactions, they are able to produce a lot of value to the company. So it's like a, almost like a coaching and mentoring role. Yes, that's something very important because I'm, I'm very focused on culture when I work in, at companies. I'm, I love to transfer companies to a value-driven culture. So that's something... Uh, where I put a, where I put a lot of attention, and there are obviously around around managing a product and other activities like to, to strong stakeholder management because Latam is a quite big company, and you need to be very good at communicating priorities, results, results of the experiments, results of the deliveries, uh, and you need to have a very good relationship with your stakeholders to to ensure that they are supporting all the priorities aligned at company level. I really like how you talk about learn from customers continuously. Not only you mentioned it today, but in also in your blog post and in your articles, because I think in my view, this is the core of experimentation uh, and also all digital optimization. And what I see a lot of time in our industry, digital marketing, uh, I think terms like growth hacking, a little bit contradict this because they're talking about hacking, almost hacking the customers, uh, not always growth. So how do you think learning from customers continuously, how is this embedded? How is experimentation connected with uh, continuous learning about customers? Well, we started uh, pushing for experimentation last year, and I would love to mention a, a colleague called... Uh, Alexander, who was working with me and, and pushing this very hard because it's not only about the practice, there was also a culture and change around experimentation. And basically, when you want to move a company from features-driven to outcomes-driven, the first thing that you need to do is to accept that you may know nothing about your customers. 
and you may know nothing and your opinions are or your ideas are just things that we need to validate if they if they have value and, and demand for our customers. So we need it to be more humble and to accept that all the ideas are worth to be tested. <laughs> okay. and, and that was something quite big because they were not used to, let's say, experiment as much as we wanted to do. We 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 said, look, we need to continue we need to learn continuously from our customers. And right now, imagine with COVID, a lot of behaviors have changed and you need to rediscover your customers exactly. to adapt your product to what they are going to demand in the future. So if you want to change quickly, you need to know what is changing in your customer. And that's why we were putting in practice experimentation to, to learn and also to validate the learnings and ensure that we are sending to the delivery flow what matters because the numbers said that it's worth to invest on that. And you mentioned COVID now and how customer behavior changes, how there are many more, I think, friction points, many more questions that people have, especially uh, when it comes to travel. Did it help that you start this process a year ago with experimentation? Does it help now uh, to be more agile in testing some of the new things or how to react to COVID? Yes, it helped because at the beginning we we needed to set up some, let's say, mindsets. We ran some trainings. We set up some tools that we were using in a different way. And right now we are much more agile into, into running tests. And something that we did very well was also to train every single person inside the product teams, not only the product managers or the product owners or the principal engineer. We trained every people because we wanted to move their mindset to do that. So most of our people are able to experiment. Most of them know how to define an experiment and how to set up the configuration with the support of other colleagues. Most of them are used to experiment before delivering. So that's something that step by step has become a habit. This is interesting. I was talking to, in one past, the past podcast, to Stefan Tonke, who is authority on the subject of experimentation, and he wrote a book about it, uh, and he teaches about that at Harvard Business School, and he was talking about different organization models when it comes to experimentation and being agile. He says the companies usually start with this more centralized approach, but then they move to more decentralized approach where they have a central figure or central function that just supports experimentation with know-how and things. And it seems like you at LATAM are going this way because of this, the large organization. You are trying to decentralize this, so enable everybody, teach everybody, instead of having a centralized unit that would run these tests and be basically a bottleneck if you want to do more of them. Yes, this is right. I, I believe that there are two approaches when you want to start running experimentation and growth techniques. If you have a dedicated team, uh, that team is going to be the only one, let's say, developing that mindset and will send to the delivery flow what's worth to be delivered. Okay. So inside the culture of the company, I believe that some teams could believe that that's the, the top team. The, the special team that is discovering all the time. And we are like a SWAT team. Yeah. Exactly. And we are just the yeah. executors. And yeah. 
Marty Karam, I remember when, when I read his book, Inspired, he said, what do you want? Do you want to create missionaries or mercenaries? <laughs> so that's, that schema, let's say, is more related to mercenaries. But we wanted all the teams to experiment because that's also very related to, to our velocity. Mm-hmm. Why I want one team experimenta- doing experimentation if I can have 40? But when you have experimentation spread across all the teams, there is something else that you need to take into account. That is, the experimentation is going to compete with the delivery. So you need to support the teams to understand how to prioritize experiments and things that they have discovered and they must deliver to ensure that both discovery and delivery are running continuously and are running in parallel. Good points. And... When I, you said mercenaries, what I think I, it's a similar concept uh, that I saw is when you have decentralized experimentation team, this experimentation team becomes a little bit detached because they're like pointing fingers. They would come, the digital product teams would do something and they would say, no, let's us, let us test us, test this. And then if it doesn't work, they would li- like point fingers at the mistakes. While yeah. if you have this embedded in all, uh, in all the product teams, I think it's more about the learning. Um, and I think this uh, this model uh, works great, but the challenge of it is how to embed this in this, especially in a big organizations like uh, LATAM. How do you manage to change this mindset? How do you embed and how do you teach? I don't know, product teams, developers, UX researchers, and designers about the value of this approach. Well, unfortunately, when we arrived to the company, my colleague Alexander and I. There was um, a product that a team was investing, I don't know, several months. And when, we, and when we went live, there was no impact. <laughs> so it was the perfect example to ask, why didn't you experiment before putting that new feature uh, that there was also a kind of revenue stream inside? Why didn't you test it? Why didn't you test the idea before to, to validate if there was demand and then value? And they didn't do it. So they started experimenting to optimize. They started running A-B testing okay. to optimize the feature, to try to, find, to try to make it work. So we use that example to say how much money we lost for investing on something that we had any proof that was validating that it was, let's say, a good investment or a good bet for the company. So we started, let's say, we started training related to experimentation. We built a training that was talking about experimentation in general. And we also specify how every single role inside a product team could impact into experimentation. And there were several teams and several powerful product managers that were part of the pilot. They wanted to to start doing experimentation. And we discover with numbers very useful things. So for example, we we refutate a a hypothesis that was going to make us lose a lot of money. So it was if you enable this check in the in the booking flow, we are going to lose a lot of money. And we were able to quantify the money that we could lost. And that helps us to say it's better to validate instead of doing something in the delivery, even if it's something very, very easy. 
the other hand, we also tested a, a new change that we wanted to do in the in the website, in the shopping part, for example, to to foster shopping. To we wanted to help the customer to select our flights faster than before. Let's say we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And we run different experiments to know how to manage the information of the website to find the best way to simplify the information to to make it faster, to increase the conversion and the time on task of selecting the flight. And we saw the numbers of every experiment. So people like it to see that we have options that we can test them and we have numbers that support the success. And we all want to success. So if you also play with that, look, we are trying to, we want to increase the probabilities to deliver something that is going to impact the customer, that is going to increase the benefits of the company. And we all want to success and be happy and celebrate what we have delivered. So having an example um, that you can use to say, this is what we need to avoid. Having a training that it's a, uh, created for every single role inside the digital and all the product teams. And having some strong teams that are going to be the pilot help it a lot to call the attention of the rest of the product teams, to call the attention of the stakeholders and to say, okay, we want more of this. Okay, this is a yeah, great example, some great story. To me, it sounds like a typical airline new website or new booking engine implementation story when you implement something for... 12, 15 months, and then basically because you invested so much money and time, you don't, nobody dares to say, okay, we will not launch this. You have to launch it. And then if it works even worse than before, then like you said, you start optimizing and going back. So uh, I think the approach that you built, like doing validation, doing testing, uh, testing hypothesis in between such big projects, is much better. Related to what you have just said, um, you need to launch this, you need to do this. We, we also have an issue that some teams can love the solution and not the problem. And <laughs> it's very difficult for them when it's not working to accept that maybe that, that's something that we need to kill. Yeah, and exactly. And you to manage that emotional impact when a team is very committed with the product and with the solution. One point I talked yesterday did a similar podcast recording with Amanda Stockwell. She is a teacher on LinkedIn about user research and how to do agile research. And she will be one of the instructors in our Airline Digital Academy. And she raised a, sim- uh, a similar point why she suggests never to have, I don't know, user uh, researcher and designer doing the same thing, you know? So mm-hmm. have a same UX person in the product team that does UX research and the design because that it's very difficult, you know, to validate your design as a UX designer through user research because you will be always personally impacted and uh, you will, it's like your baby. So it's very difficult to, to, to get feedback, especially when it's negative on your designs. Exactly. One thing that uh, you mentioned, okay, we need to test, we need to see what is the impact. But how do you actually measure, you know, the, how do you measure product? Uh, you write a lot about OKRs and you talked a little bit when you, uh, on your example that you measured, for example, time on task. We measure a lot of times conversion rate. How do you set a proper KPI or in your case, OKR uh, for digital product? Well, I believe that the... The most important part when you start experimentation, when you want to implement OKRs, when you want to measure, the key of everything is how do you manage data and how do you define data? 
I have been also a consultant for several companies that wanted to implement OKRs. And there, were, there is always a um, problem. They, they are always stuck on the same point. That is, we don't have a common vocabulary around data, which means we don't know all the metrics that we can measure. We don't have a common definition. We don't have a common way to calculate it. And we don't know where is the source of the data. That's the most important part when you want to start measuring, that you need to create, as I said, that common vocabulary around the metrics of the company that are very related to your business, to your product, and to your customer behaviors. So once you have your data, and that data and that, let's say, all those metrics are, are shared across the, the company, you need to start, let's say, having very interesting conversations. I don't believe that there is one receipt to, to find the best metric or, or the best KPI. But I do believe that we can have enough metrics to have a conversation to try to choose what's the best one to tell us if we are progressing or not around something that we want to achieve. So for listeners maybe who are not familiar, OKR is a objectives and key results uh, framework that I think was developed by Google initially and it's used a lot in growth and experimentation as a framework to measure uh, and basically define KPIs, right? Yeah, that's it. And we started uh, we, we started working with OKRs also last year. When you have a, a good sense of your data and, uh, and a common understanding around your data, I think that the main challenge when you start implementing OKRs is that that's going to move you from feature-driven to a more customer and data-driven approach. Something that we were also putting a lot of attention in is that when you define the OKR to ensure that the objectives are mentioned in the customer are quite focused on the impact that you want to create. Because when you impact the customer, benefits come later. We want to ensure that we make the impact. We try to avoid the, the, the how, how we are going to do it because we let that to the teams to, to define the initiatives to, to ensure that, to let them, let's say, be creative, to, to understand the objective and to propose what they are going to try to, to do to achieve it. So the objective should have always the customer in place and the key results. Sometimes it's very difficult to find what's the best metric to do it, but having that common understanding, you can choose the best one that you believe and you can start uh, running the OKR, working around it. And if you find a mistake, you always say you can change it if there is if there is a real mistake in the, key, in the key result that you set. But if not, everything that you are going to do around the OKR is going to help us to learn how to set a better OKR in the next quarter or the next period of time that you are going to define them. Yeah, one thing that... You said I had to write it down because I think it's very strong. A strong wording is when you benefit the customer, the impact comes later. And this, I think, is a big challenge and sometimes also a big problem in digital marketing. When uh, even when we implement experimentation and testing, because a lot of this vanity siloed metrics. So we would like to optimize our Google campaigns with the best click through rates. And we can frame the messaging in a way that click-through rates are better. We can promise customers, I don't know, benefits that maybe we cannot deliver on, and then the we can increase the conversion rate. 
but like you said, uh, maybe the impact comes later. And this is when it's really challenging to define uh, OKR or a metric or evaluation criteria to measure your experiments on that is really carrying this end-to-end impact. I was talking to Ronnie Kuhavi, who is head of experimentation now at Airbnb, and he was talking, talking about watermelon metrics. So some metrics that look green on the outside, but for the customers are actually red. Exactly. Yeah, and this is the challenge uh, of how you can how you can really define and how people how to make people to expect because I think especially in the airlines in the booking funnel the product teams that are involved with the booking funnel and conversion we are really into optimizing that but sometimes to expect that higher conversion not necessarily will mean longer customer lifetime value or even retention or even average order uh, this is something difficult how do how do you help people accept more, let's say, more uh, end-to-end OKRs and uh, KPIs? Well, I always try to have a conversation around, look, we we have a product and people pay for it. But what's the reason that they are paying for it in our company and not in the others? And, And we start having a conversation around that. How can we make something valuable so people can keep paying for, for it and maybe new customers will come to pay for it as well. And how can we ensure that if we want to increase the value or the price of something that we are selling right now, what are we giving to them? What's the extra that we are giving so we can ensure that they are going to keep paying for us? So we need to we need to make money because we are a company and we need to pay a lot of people and employees, but we need to make money thanks to creating valuable things for our customers. So that's why using this is when I try to turn those OKRs off. We want to increase revenues by 10%. Okay, thanks to that. Thanks to what? Sorry. Thanks to what's going to, what are we going to deliver to the customer? What we are going to propose to the customer? To, to ensure that those benefits are going to increase because the customer comes first. And as I said before, there is no receipt, but when you have experience uh, working with OKRs during the conversation, you start doing, let's say, a refinement of the OKR and you start changing some wording, you start uh, gathering ideas from other people that it's discussing the OKRs. And finally, we come to that kind of value proposition that is going to help us to increase 10% the revenues. And when you put that value proposition in the objective, you can keep that kind of initial proposal of the objective that is to increase the revenues. But even in the key results, something that I like to do, and that's a personal opinion, I like to put the key result, the, the, the monetary part as a key result, but not the first one. Because sometimes other things are going to happen before you receive the benefits, like, for example, I don't know, conversion and click-to rate. You know, you can also write the key results as a funnel to finally achieve those benefits. And that's helping people to understand that customer comes first. And when they are very focused on the value of the customer, the benefits will increase after that. One thing, interesting thing that I saw that you wrote about in the past is that you also measure the time that it takes from the beginning to the end. So when even defining experiments uh, to 
uh, gathering idea, defining experiments, then uh, making it uh, into production, testing, and then uh, validating, and then basically launching. Because to me, it was very interesting that you measure this, all these different phases. So you see how long does it take to, to do this and how long does it take uh, for experiment to go from beginning to an end? How did you came up with this framework and how does it work in practice? <laughs> Well, when, when I arrived to LATAM, my, my first mission was to, to create a common culture to, to deliver value continuously. And in the practice, what we did was to have, we created like kind of two flows, one for the experimentation and one for the delivery. And we, let's say, standardized what's the common flow to do experimentation and what's the common flow to, to deliver the product. We create the flow, we, we co-create the, the flow with different roles inside the digital area because we wanted to create a flow to deliver value, even in experimentation and in the delivery area. We amended our tools to, to use that flow. So people understood the flow, understood that we wanted to produce value thanks to different techniques. Uh, and as soon as we adapted our tools to do that, uh, they started working on it because also they, they were participating from the beginning on, on this initiative. Thanks to, we work with Jira okay. uh, and we have uh, quite good people able to read all the information that Jira, I mean, every single movement of our items to extract or time to market. In case of experimentation, we call it time to, time to discover. And all the time that every item was uh, at a single state of that, of that cycle, of that flow. And that helps us out because when you want to deliver product, uh, time matters. Sometimes we say, well, the, the stakeholders are putting deadlines. No, there is a bigger deadline. The bigger deadline is the one that the customer outside is putting on us because if he or she doesn't like what we are doing, it's super easy to move to a different component. It's this doing something similar. So time matters. And it's very important to optimize the product that we are building, but it's also very important to optimize our operations. So we need to measure our operations to understand where can we optimize or time to market or time to discover to simplify your process and also to, to reach the market and the customer faster. That was the purpose of that initiative. No, I really like the initiative because like you said, time matters and it's true. And the downside in a way of, let's say, experimentation could be that it prolongs your time to market because there is additional phase where you try to, to measure and run experiment. It helps to have a website like uh, a digital product like Latan that has a huge amount of traffic so you can run experiments and come to a discovery relatively fast, but it's still an additional step in the whole process. So I think if you are transparent and you measure and you go back to the product teams and say, look, we are aware of this, but we are optimizing also this time and try to make it as fast as possible. I think it helps with the adoption of experimentation. Yeah, it helped a lot because they were able to see experimentation at all levels. I mean, they were able to see experimentation as uh, they were able to, to understand the mindset, the value. We, were, we empowered teams to do experimentation. We amended the tools and all the processes to, to facilitate the way to experiment and they were able to see by themselves the results and when you run a, an initiative uh, uh, to do this that it's also let me there is inside in the background a lot of change management mm -hmm. um, things to 
to, as you said, to adopt something like this. When you cover all the points, the mindset, the value, and also the operations, basically you are creating also autonomy in teams to create the habits and that way to work. The thing that if you break it down like this, I think it's also good because it shows everybody what are the different phases of experimentation, like so how to define the hypothesis, how to do even the, the research before, so use the research that you base your hypothesis on, and then how you define uh, what will be the, the thing that you will test, and then you put it in production, uh, so delivery for testing. So I think if you put it in these different phases, especially in bigger organizations like LATAM, then people can also see that, okay, we can do some of these phases in parallel. They don't need to be like waiting for a previous task uh, so we can do more things uh, in parallel. Because a lot of times I see people think you need to do it from the beginning to end in one go and then this time becomes uh, a little bit longer. Yeah, I see the flow as... I always say to the teams, look, the flow is like a, a kind of question of things you need to do to, to deliver value and to end. But it doesn't mean that you need to do every single step on a, in, a, in a different day. So you need to also treat the flow as something that is going to flow the value, flow the conversations and flow the activities that you need to execute. And as you said before, maybe you see different steps that are going to uh, fulfill different aspects of the experiment till till you are able to to validate it in in a life environment, but some things that can happen at the same time. So it's not a it's not a let's say the the flow is not going to split activities between days. You can you can deliver something in one day in a few hours or in several days, and it will depend on how many work do you parallelize. That's also something. That was also the purpose of measuring our operations because we were able to, to get metrics related to the flow, the time to discover, uh, the waiting times, uh, the cycle time, the time in every single step of the flow. But also we were able to see how many items we were running in parallel. And we started finding what is our, our, our way to limit in order to ensure that the value was going to flow uh, faster and how to stop, let's say, for example, how to stop running new experiments if we have not finished several ones in order to ensure that we start finishing <laughs> before we start something new. One thing that I wanted to also talk to you about, because I saw that uh, before LATAM you also worked in... Uh, for the OTA, lastminute.com, so you have a lot of experience in travel. What do you see compared to other industries? What are the specifics? What is different or maybe what is the same when you compare creating good uh, digital products in the travel or in the airline industries compared to others? Well, something that I see different when I move from the OTA to, to LATAM I remember that there was a, a very big thing that impacted me when I arrived to LATAM. <laughs> and it was like, well, in the OTA, you have the website. That's uh, the channel to, to sell different products. Yeah. And when I came to LATAM, okay, it was working for the digital channel, but there is a plane. It's a physical product as well. <laughs> exactly. There yeah. is also a physical product. So, And I remember that we, in the OTA, when we had the customer journey maps and so on, 
to see a journey. But when I arrived to LATAM, the journey did not finish. <laughs> uh, when you when you send the confirmation email of what you have sold, sold. Uh, the journey continues, continues with the check-in, continues with the boarding pass, continue with the with the airport, continue with the experience inside the the plane, continue when you land. I mean, it's incredible the big difference and the amount of things that you need to take into account also because a lot of information that we provide in the airline can be used in the post-booking phase, okay, mm-hmm. in different moments. And that was something that that impacted me a lot because also doing discovery. In the OTA, we were doing discovery maybe with interviews or focus groups or calls, remote calls, uh, and always based on the website. But in the airline, part of our discovery was to go to the airport and to see how the customers were uh, getting the boarding pass, to see how our customers were understanding the information in the boarding pass, because the boarding pass is generated, um, is it's let's say it's configured when you when you buy the ticket uh, in the digital in the digital channel, the boarding pass is configured through the digital channel. So there are a lot of things that you need to take into account that are related to the physical experience of the customer. Yeah, exactly. One thing that's maybe I'm curious to hear about is you're talking, okay, for airlines, and this is correct, there is not only the website or mobile app to booking, but there are different digital touch points to do the check-in, to do maybe even a baggage sales service drop. In-flight entertainment is another digital touch point. And I think now with COVID, there will be more because people will want to do even more things in a touchless, contactless, digital way. Do you already test and run experiments on other digital touch points as well? Or is this something that you're looking to do in the future? Because what I see in our industry, many airlines still struggle to do this on the main websites. So other touch points are often left out of uh, these kinds of uh, projects and experimentation. Look, since the last year, there were some ideas uh, that were, let's say, pointing to what you said, to to other ways, to, to other digital touch points. And with COVID, let's say those tests were <laughs> uh, prioritized uh, much, let's say, faster yeah. than we that we expected. And that's something that the company is taking into account for sure in the with the new experience that we are trying to to discover from our new customers. Yeah, good point. I think, like you said, COVID unfortunately changed a lot of things, especially in travel, but it will accelerate a lot of the things uh, when it comes to digital. Exactly. It's going to accelerate a lot of things that we thought that we will have time in the future. But that future <laughs> came faster than we expected. And that's also a good opportunity for companies that had some ideas similar to that to, to accelerate them and to because it's going to create a, a change of, of in on the mindset as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And I preach a lot of this to airlines that I think there will be opportunities to accelerate adoption of various digital scenarios that were maybe before a little bit difficult. Like it, just increasing the uh, the share of direct web sales or increase the share of web check-in, uh, baggage sales service, things like that. And there could be new digital scenarios that airlines can develop that are 
that were people now uh, used to in the other world, like pre-ordering of, I don't know, retail, uh, food, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think these are some things that airlines can can take advantage on and introduce these digital scenarios because people will be much more used to them now than they were before. Yeah. Okay, Vanessa, to wrap this interview, one thing that I'm always curious, especially when I talk to interesting people like you who are really knowledgeable and I see and learn about a lot of stuff. So I'm interested in two things because I see you also teach a lot of these things with your blog and workshops. So how do you personally learn about digital product development, about agile methods, about experimentation, and also maybe how you teach them. What is the the best way for people to learn about this? Well, my I have two two main sources of of information. One is the books. Okay. I like to read books. I like to read blogs a lot. But sometimes, you know, in a blog, you have a few. A few topics, uh, a very quick input related to something that is interesting. And I do believe that when you want to expand that knowledge, uh, it's good to, to read the book that it's recommended to, to different topics. So that's my main source of, of learning. The second one is to, to practice, to try to put in practice what I have learned. And because that's going to, let's say, help me to, to digest and to really feel what those, let's say, words that you read uh, come to a reality. Uh, on the other hand, I also like to, to share my experiences with my blog. And I also follow people on Twitter that, that inspire me, that inspire me with their daily activities, with the daily posts that they usually share. And, and I would say that these are the, the three main things that I, that I do to learn, but mainly the books and to put to try to put in practice what I have read uh, in the companies where I work for. Yeah, I think this point is so important and this is what we try to embed in our new Ireland Digital Academy is learning by doing. So one thing is to learn and to read about it, but you learn so much more about when you put when you do things on your own and you put them in practice. And one thing my experience or at least my personal experience and it's connected to experimentation, you learn much more when you fail at something because we all remember our mistakes and especially the big ones, I think, are the best teachers for the future. I don't know what's your experience with failure in the past. Well, I, that's something very good because <laughs> I, I never, I mean, failure in any of my the companies where I work for, in, inside the culture, we always knew that learning was thanks to to find some things that did not work as expected so failure was something normal when you want to experiment and try new things because you 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 didn't know it before so it's something that it's difficult to digest sometimes <laughs> but it's part of the learning by doing it's part of the practice so the more you practice the more you develop other skills and knowledge that are around to to the to the original source of information that you had thanks vanessa I really enjoyed this conversation. I will uh, add a link to your blog in the show notes with this podcast, and I would encourage all airline and other digital people uh, to check it out. It's in Spanish, but it's also another opportunity like it was for me to use Google Translate to ask my wife that speaks Spanish to help me digesting it because it's worth it. Uh, it's worth the time and it's worth the effort. So thanks again for the conversation. 
Thanks a lot for the opportunity and it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by digintravel.com. Digintravel is your number one resource when it comes to airline and travel digital marketing and e-commerce. Visit digintravel.com to find the latest digital trends and white papers with in-depth airline digital benchmarks.